0: And we know specifically that, that here in this 15th Psalm, going forward, as we look at the life of David, we see a lot of growth taking place as he's not only waiting, but he's there in the presence of God being ministered to. You know, I, I really pray that as we're going through the Psalms throughout this time and this season, I, I think it was very timely that God put us here and He has brought us here to the Psalms. And I don't know about how you've come today. Maybe with a lot of impatience now, or frustration, or or anxiety, or maybe even a little bit of fear as what's taking place around our world. And it seems like when we're just about to end all the chaos and everything, that something else has to happen. Another trial. This has to be the last. The last six months have to be a a a half of a year full of trials of testing. Uh, of just weariness and we can come to a place where we are just now just tired <laughs> but now we can come here in psalms 15 and think about this here the psalmist david is growing and you see the spiritual development through his fellowship with god you want some spiritual development in your life a lot of times we talk about our personal development in life or emotional development in life Maybe even our physical development in life. But what about your spiritual development that happens only in the Word of God? How does your spiritual development look like tonight? We're going to go over four major points. And we see that in every major point, we're going to go through a chapter of the Psalms. But the first major point that we will see tonight is the character... Listen to this closely, please. The character that qualifies you in the presence of God. You see, character is important for communion. It's important for communion, your character, the way that you, that, you, that you live, who you are behind the scenes, your integrity here. And here what he's going to talk about, the psalmist here, David, is how saved people should live if they seek to please God and to have fellowship with Him. Because David wanted to enjoy the benefits of being now a a resident in the house of God, in the presence of God. And here he wants to enjoy that type of fellowship, that protection, and that provision. But we see that it was his character now that welcomed him in now, that qualified him in to the presence of God. And he was able to come boldly into the presence of God with the authority of the Son, Jesus. And we see here that it was because of His integrity. Now, that's something that we ought to all know, integrity tonight. How does your integrity look? Nobody is above integrity. Write that down in your Bible. Nobody is above integrity. No one is exempt from integrity. In fact, the definition of integrity, recently the Lord spoke to me, it really is refusing To live a lie. Integrity really is refusing to live a lie. Integrity means staying true now to character and to holiness. It's not living a life uh, of duplicity or a double life or a double standard. Do you know that as we come to church, as we want to serve the Lord, that the number one prerequisite is not a double standard, but it's a higher standard. And when you're going to serve in the presence of God, you are called to a higher standard now here in psalms 15 look what he says as we read here the psalmist now ministering to us as he asks who can enter into your presence now he says in verse one lord who may abide in your tabernacle who may dwell in your holy hill he who walks uprightly or with integrity it says he who works righteousness as well and he who speaks the truth in his heart. Now notice what he's talking about, the character of the man and woman that is qualified into the presence of God. It says, He who does not backpite with his tongue, verse 3, nor does evil to his neighbor, nor does he take up a reproach against his friends, in whose eyes a vile person is despised, but he honors those who fear the Lord. He who swears... To his own hurt and does not change. He who does not put out his money at usury, nor does he take a bribe against the innocent. He who does these things shall never be moved. Can we pray? Lord Heavenly Father, we thank you, God, because you have made a way through your Son Jesus that we can access your presence. But we ask, Lord, that we would come in integrity, Lord. Because we know here that the psalmist is exhorting us, who can enter into your holy place? Who can come before God? That is the question. And I pray that the answer would be hidden in our hearts. It would be our integrity. It would be our godly character. It would be our holiness. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Together we said, Amen. Now look at the question that he asks here in verse 1, because he's asking a question as to who can enter into the presence of God, and then he provides an answer in the rest of the psalm. Verse 1 is a question, from verse 2 to verse 5 is the answer to that question. What's the question? Let's read it. Lord, who may abide, who may dwell, who may enter, or who can approach now your presence in your holy hill? Who is qualified to go in there? Who can live there, Lord, in your presence, in intimate fellowship, in intimate communion here? And look at what he's talking about, not only intimate fellowship and communion with God, but he's saying, I have a hunger, I have a desire now for the presence of God. And here what he's talking about when he uses the word dwell, he's saying, who can go into your presence now? And the word dwell means it's not intended for a brief moment. I want to stay there for a while, Lord. Who can stay there? Who can be a residence uh, in the house of God? Who can enjoy that benefit? Now there are times in our lives where we want to go into the presence of God, but we intend for it to be a very brief moment. No David said, I know what it's like to be in the presence of God and I want to go there and I want to stay there. I want to live there. I want to approach that place and he's asking that question. Who is it that can do that? Now notice that in verse 2 he's going to talk about now that person that has upright integrity, that is maintaining integrity. Now the question is in verse 1, the answer is in verse 2, who can enter into your presence? Verse 2, he who walks, he who works, and he who speaks. You want to be in the presence of God. You want to serve in the house of God. You want to serve in the presence of God it would require that you would walk with integrity work righteousness and speak the truth in his heart now notice those that want to be in the presence of God there are three things you must walk you must work right and you must speak truth in his heart or you must speak in sincerity and in truth now notice these three qualities are day-to-day things that we ought to now exemplify not only in public, but also in private. Because here, integrity and truth is really the bedrock of a Christian man or woman that wants to spend time in the presence of God. Ask yourself, how is it that I'm walking today? What is it that I'm working today? And how is it that I'm speaking today? Notice that he's speaking about a really strong now type of truth, a truth with no hidden agenda, a life that has nothing to hide. I want to be in the presence of God. Do I have anything to hide? Because that does not qualify me in the presence of God. In fact, that disqualifies you from spending time there. Am I speaking deception in my heart? You see, a weakened integrity happens very gradually. And in that process of integrity or the erosion of integrity what happens is that our character now starts to look more like the character and the values of the world instead of like the character and the values of God's Word and that's what he's speaking to us right here about now notice in verse 3 he goes he who does not backbite with his tongue not only does this person ought to walk work and speak but he ought to not backbite with his tongue. What does that mean? He ought not to talk bad about people with his mouth. He ought to refuse to gossip. How many of us know that in the presence of God, God does not accept gossip? There are so many times that even in ministry or in church, we want to serve the Lord and then gossip about those in the ministry or at church. He's saying those that want to enter into the presence of God are those that refuse to gossip. In fact, if, if the Lord is, is now using our mouth or our lips or, or, and to minister to other people, we should say, Lord, protect my mouth. Because I don't want to use the same mouth that I used to minister to people. I don't want to use the same mouth to gossip about them as well. You see what he's talking about here? Who does not do evil to his neighbor, nor does he take up reproach against, against his friend. He refuses to gossip against his neighbor there is often times where we want to say something and and we we think about it twice and and we say well you know what i hate to say this but well if you hate to say it, then don't say it <laughs> you know or you know what i really shouldn't say this but i'm gonna say it. Well, don't say it then <laughs> and there are, we, we we almost are are saying it out loud that we should not go through it but guess what we still go into a place of now that is considered gossip now, now, take it through, through a few tests. Test number one. Take it through a test. Test number one. Is this confidential? Because if this is confidential, then maybe I shouldn't share it. Is this true? Is it true to God's word? Is it something true that I know? If, because if it's not true, then it's unnecessary. Does it, does it require some investigation before I start speaking about it? Then maybe I should not say it at all. Is it necessary? Think about how many things you say that are unnecessary, that are not needed, that you're sharing it with someone that doesn't even need to know. (laughs) Then just don't share it at all. Or does it serve for a wholesome purpose? Does it serve to edify someone? In Ephesians chapter 4 verse 29, write this next to your Bible. It says this, let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth let nothing evil come out of your mouth or foul or dirty come out of your mouth, but that which is good, and what is for necessary edification, that it might impart grace to the hearers." Why is this important? That he who wants to dwell in the presence of God comes without gossip. Because some of the most obvious evidences of someone with a pure heart that has spent time in the presence of God is one with a self-controlled tongue. I know that person spends time in the presence of God because they have self-control in the things that they say. It is an obvious manifestation of someone that is spending time in the presence of God. Do you see that? Not only does it talk about that, but it says also in verse 3, who does not take up reproach against his friend, who doesn't speak evil or doesn't despise now, His friend now, or despise those now that are faithfully or with loyalty following the Lord, but keep the Lord's now commandments. And it tells us this in verse 4. In whose eyes a vile person is despised. The person that the Lord accepts into his presence is that person who when he sees someone sinning, that sin, he despises it in his eyes. He doesn't accept it oftentimes think about it as a believer we want to accept sin when we see it taking place at the expense of not offending someone and we have become very tolerant about sin this culture has become very tolerant on sin and they have accepted people's feelings now because we don't want to offend them when it comes to sin now notice what he's saying whose eyes a vile person is despised we look we do not Admire, we do not approve of, we do not tolerate now the sin that is taking place. In fact, but honors those who fear the Lord. Doesn't it seem like we're living in a world that is so backwards? (laughs) That those that are fearing the Lord, we don't honor that anymore, but we honor those that are despising the Lord. And anything that is anti Jesus now is so accepted, but anything that is, uh, you know, um, now for Jesus is rejected. And notice what he's talking about here. Whose eyes a vile person is despised, but honors those who fear the Lord. Who do you honor? What do you honor? Do you have a Christian world view today? That what you honor is what God honors. And what you despise is what God despises. That means that if God despises this certain issue, then I just stand with the Lord and how He stands with that. Because I am in His presence. And that is a manifestation of of, of someone that is in the presence of God. In fact, he's talking about someone with integrity will honor those also who have integrity and those who fear the Lord. Let's keep reading here in verse 4. He who swears with his own hurt and does not change. Circle it. Does not change. Does not change. What does that mean? He who says something and keeps his promise even when it hurts to keep that promise. (laughs) Now, that's what integrity means. Integrity means that I'm not always just changing my mind. Integrity means that I'm a person of, here it is, commitment. That if I said something, that I'm going to keep that commitment. And even if it costs me to keep that commitment, I will do so because I'm a man and woman of integrity who spend time in the presence of God. Do you notice that? Do you notice that a person that is without integrity will sometimes now commit to something and then back away from it, that that is now a a compromise in our integrity and in our character. That's what it tells us here in verse 4. He who swears to his own hurt, he who says something, promises something, even if it costs him something, he does not change. Now let's keep reading verse 5. He who does not put out his money at usury, he who does not now give, thinking that he wants to now, receive only interest his money at usury nor does he take a bribe against the innocent now what does this mean he knows how to use his money he's a good steward of his money this is a lot about you and a lot about your integrity and how you handle your money a lot about you in fact because that's an area in our nature our human nature that we are going to protect and how you are a steward of your finances is a reflection also of your personal integrity and of your spiritual development. Now notice what he's talking about, it says, he who gives without interest, he who gives without wanting any interest back, he who cannot be bribed now to lie about the innocent. Notice what he's talking about here, he who is not greedy that can lie or can be bribed into to stand against the innocent. He who is not a pushover when it comes to his finances, who cannot be bought. If you can be bought by someone, that's a compromise in your integrity. And notice, this is what he's talking about. Now let's keep reading verse 5. He who does these things shall never be moved. The person that is fulfilling these conditions will stand firm. (laughs) Isn't this amazing? The person that stays true to these things will stand secure and with stability. This is a promise now. That the Lord's righteous persons or people inherit a promise that they will have a sure foundation, that they will have something valuable for their faithfulness, and that is their stability now. Now this is so awesome here because the one who has pleased God with this kind of behavior and conduct can expect this kind of blessing. And really, it's their integrity that is being reinforced in their life now. Now, if you really feel like you have a solid fellowship with God, notice this, it's going to influence the choices and the decisions that you make. It's going to influence the choices and the decisions that you make. And here in chapter 15, He talked to, to us about that about a person that is spending time in the presence of God and it has affected the choices and every decision that they make, that they stand for truth. There's so much deception taking place in the last days and God is going to shake things up in the last days, the Bible tells us, where the truth and the lies are going to be so evident. There there really is going to be very slim gray area. (laughs) And it's going to be manifested who's standing for truth and who's not standing for truth. And God wants us to stand for truth, to protect it, to preserve it, to stand with it, to stand beside it now. Because those are some of the qualities of who God is himself. Now let's go here to Psalms chapter 16 because David here kept calm. Notice here, he kept calm in times of trouble. Now, there are times of trouble in our lives. You know what we're, we, we prone, we're prone to do in times of trouble? We tend to panic. <laughs> not only was he confident in the presence of God, but he was also calm in the presence of God. You really know you're trusting God when you're calm, when you're slow, when you're not in a rush to make a decision, when you're not freaking out, but you know you're trusting God because you are calm. These are the benefits of a life that are committed to God here in Psalm 16, after you made it in the presence of God because He's in there, because He's trusting God, because of His integrity, guess what He can now be an example of? a Someone that has a calm spirit now. Why does He have a calm spirit? Because He's being ministered into the presence of God. God is comforting that person in the presence of God. And notice what is happening here. He's delighting himself in the presence of God. And God is, he's, God is speaking to him. He's spending time there. And notice what happens here. In chapter 16, fear is canceled in his life, in the very presence of God. Let's read here. Psalm 16, verse 1. Look at what he says. Preserve me, O God, For in you, I put my trust. (laughs) See, during times of change, during times of uncertainty, when there's a lot of movement taking place in our life, in our world, maybe in our workplace, wherever you are, in the ministry, in, in the church, notice, you can say this one thing, Lord, protect me, watch over me, keep me safe. In you, I'm putting my trust. And you see how he has such a peace and a calm spirit about him in Psalms chapter 16 he's almost saying Lord I'm coming to your refuge watch over me Lord keep me safe in fact verse 2 look what he says oh my soul you have said to the Lord you are my Lord my goodness is nothing apart from you oh Lord I've worshiped you and I know Lord that that I am nothing apart from you that my goodness is is nothing apart from you, that every good thing I have comes from you, Lord. Every good thing in me is of you. And he's delighting himself in the Lord's presence, and he's confessing that in his life, everything that is good is coming from God. You see how he's worshiping the Lord this way? Now, now to know him and to know the Lord through Jesus Christ is the highest privilege that we, we start to see here, even in the life of David, and we know that David is basically saying that, that if it's not coming from God, then it's not good. <laughs> if it's not coming from God, then it's not good. And look what he says here as he continues in verse 3. As for the saints who are on earth, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. Again, what does he want? What does he desire? This man here, David, desires godly companionship. He's calm. Because he's surrounding himself with godly companionship. Do you notice that he says as for the saints who are on the earth, who are the saints? As for the church, as for your people God, they are the excellent ones, they are the ones that I admire, they are the ones that I look up to, they are the ones in whom all is all my delight. See this is why you know that you have a heart after God, because you also have a heart for God's people. When you spend time in the presence of God, you also want to spend time with the saints of God. And you, you see this very evident. There are often times where you say that, that we have a great relationship with God, but we, want, we don't want to spend time in the body of Christ, and that is impossible. A simple test, really is, is that those who love God will also want to spend time with those other people that love God in the company of those that love God as well. And we must use the God-given gifts and abilities so that we can minister to one another. This is what he's saying. We have one mind, one vision. There is a unity because all my delight is in godly companionship. But look, what he looks, look at what he thinks about in verse 4 or verse 3 now as he continues. Now to say this, their sorrows shall be multiplied who has sinned after another god. But the wicked now, they fall into trouble. And it says here they their drink offering of blood I will not offer nor take up their names on my lips I will not associate with the wicked number 1 and I will not partake in their idolatry number 2 Are you associating in any way with anything other than godly companionship that is changing you that is changing your integrity now because he's saying if someone is worshiping or is in idolatry or a, a companion that maybe does not honor God, I'm not going to associate with them. I'm not going to be a part of them. I, I, I don't want to even speak their name in my lips. <laughs> this is where he's drawing the line now of holiness. You see, holiness requires that me and you are willing to draw the line. That's what it requires. And if you're not willing to really draw the line, then how do you know you're standing for the truth? Because as it's been said before, if you don't stand for something, then you are just fall for anything. What do you stand for today? Because if you don't stand for something, then you're just falling for anything. Notice how he draws the line here. Verse five. Oh Lord, you are my portion. I'm not going to be a part of what they're doing because I am in you, Lord. Because you are my inheritance and my cup. You maintain my lot, Lord. You guard all that is mine. I'm not a part of that because, Lord, you maintain my lot, Lord. You, God, you guard everything that is mine, Lord. It tells us this, verse 6. The lions have fallen to me in pleasant places. Yes, I have a good inheritance. The lines that he's talking about is, is the lions on, on the land. Lord, the lines that you have given me as my inheritance, as in the Old Testament, they would draw the lines of, you know, from this area to this other area, this belongs to this person or to this tribe. Now he's saying, the lines that have fallen for me, the territory that you have given me, the blessing that you have given me is in such a pleasant and delightful place, God. I don't want to be anywhere else than where you have me right now, Lord. It's a wonderful inheritance, he's saying here in verse 5. The portion that you've given me, the the, the lines that you have given me, it's a pleasant place now. I'm delighted in what you have given me. Now, circle the word pleasant in your Bible. Because he's saying what you've given me is pleasant. I am delighted in it. I, I, I am enjoying it. I am content. I'm grateful in what you have given me. I don't have to go looking outside. Oftentimes the reason why we're looking everywhere else is because we are not content, we are not satisfied with what God has given us. Do you see here in verse six, a contentment now? See that there is even in our generation today, there is a discontentment taking place. And the reason why discontentment takes place is because there, there is really a hard heart when it comes to gratitude, and we become very ungrateful. But here what you see here in verse 5 and 6 is that here what David is, is he is grateful. He is content with what God has given him. He knows it comes from God. I love what Warren Worsby said. He says, to possess great wealth, but not to have the Lord, is poverty indeed. And to enjoy the gifts, but to ignore the giver, is wickedness indeed. You know what David here is saying is very similar to what Warren Willsby said. He's saying, Lord, I know it's of you. It's pleasant, and that's where I want to be. I'm so grateful. I don't want to be and partake of the wicked. Now, verse 7, he goes on, I will bless the Lord who has given me counsel. My heart instructs me in the night seasons. Look look at this. The Lord instructs me in the night. This is like what David is saying. He says, I'm enrolled in night school with the Lord. And He shows me His will. I'm praising God. Because He gives me counsel. Because He gives me advice. I'm having fellowship with the Lord. And this was His greatest joy. There was nothing that gave Him any more greater joy than being in the presence of God. He's saying, there is no greater inheritance now than in my relationship with the Lord Almighty now. Even at night, look at this. Even at night, He instructs me. You see, at night, He's speaking about even during dark moments... Even though in moments that He's disciplining me, He's speaking to me. He's instructing me. The word instruct means to teach with discipline. The Lord is teaching me even at night. I'm learning the will of God and I'm learning many lessons through the loving, chastening hand of God. The Lord is always before me. Do you see how He's so secure here? And He's sensitive to the will of God? Thank you, Lord, because you're instructing me even in these night seasons. Have you ever been still and saying, "Lord, I just want to hear from you. I want to wait on you, Lord." And I know that even at night you speak to me, you're instructing me, you're disciplining me, and all of it is a part of your plan and your will for my life. Let's go to verse eight. It says, "I I have set the Lord always before me. I have put the Lord always first. I have put the Lord always first. Who have you put first lately?" Because as he's being instructed by the Lord, he's saying, I put him before me. I have made a conscience decision to follow him. I put the Lord before me. I have made a decision to follow him. And listen to this. Because he is right beside me or because he is at my right hand or because he is my advocate or because he's my defender, I shall not be moved or shaken. I put him first. And because He's my right hand, because He's my defender, because He's my advocate, I shall not be shaken. Why is He not shaken? Because God is first, because He put the Lord first. It's been said before that the future is your friend when Jesus is your Lord. (laughs) Who's your Lord today? I don't have to be scared of the future. The future is my friend now. I come to it without fear because Jesus is my Lord I'm not shaken because I put him first now and my future is in his hands my future is not in my hands where is your future in have you put it into your own hands or you put it into the hands of God now let's keep reading here verse 9 therefore because of this my heart is glad and my glory rejoices my flesh is also with rest and hope. I can rest in the Lord and my flesh has hope. Now, what is is he talking about? These are the benefits. These are the benefits of following the Lord here. I'm rejoicing and my body is resting in safety because my life is in God's hands. My body is resting in safety. Now, Psalms 16 is also a messianic psalm that refers over to Jesus Christ. And notice how it refers over to Jesus. Look what it says here. For you will not leave my soul in Sheol, nor you allow your Holy One to see corruption. This is a verse that was used in the New Testament in Acts chapter 2 and in Acts chapter 13. Peter and Paul use it as they now preach of the resurrection of Jesus. And here what David is doing, he's preaching about the Messiah in his psalm. He's now giving prophecy of the Messiah that the Lord or God would raise up Jesus and He would not let Him see death. He would raise Him from the grave in verse 10. You will not let or leave my soul in Sheol. You're not going to leave me now in death, nor you will allow your Holy One. Notice Holy One means Messiah to see corruption or the grave. You're not going to leave me in the grave, and you're not going to let me see death. Now, why is he alluding or referring to the resurrection of Christ here all of a sudden? Because what is he talking about here? He's saying, I can even face death with hope, because I know, and because of that, I know I can have joy. Well, why can he have joy? Because in referencing the resurrection of Christ, he knows I have hope as I even face death, that I too will enjoy a resurrection. And I can have hope when I think about the resurrection of Christ. Verse 11, you show me the path of life. Now, notice here, as he's committed, he's dedicated to be in the presence of God. You show me what? The path of life. What do you want God to show you today? Because as He shows you the way of life, look at what He says, In your presence is fullness of joy. Where is there fullness of joy? In the presence of man? In the presence of maybe good news? No, in the presence of God is fullness of joy. That means that there is no other place where I will have full joy. I will be satisfied in fullness. And In fact, it says, at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Notice that the presence of God here is referred to a place where there is joy and a place where there is pleasure. The presence of God is where the Christian finds joy and where the Christian finds pleasure. Now why is this important for us? Because here David is talking to us about the joy in the presence of God and the pleasure of living with God forever. Now notice, the center of the, uh, of the pleasure and the joy in the presence of God is Jesus Christ himself. And what he's saying here now, David, is that he's going to experience the fullness of joy and of pleasure forevermore in heaven. And the pleasures of heaven will be far beyond any pleasure and any joy that you and I can potentially even experience here on earth now. Because we're going to face the Lord, face-to-face Jesus Christ, and we're going to have an unhindered relationship with Him. Notice what he's saying. In your presence there, I'm going to find true joy. And in your presence, I'm going to find true pleasure. Do you find satisfaction? Are you satisfied in the presence of God? Or do you need something else? What do you need to bring yourself pleasure? There are often times that we think, well, you know what? If I just had some time alone by myself, or I just took this trip, or I did this or that, that brings me great pleasure, right? Or then I'll be happy. Then I'll be satisfied. But do you need the presence of God plus something else? Or are you satisfied with that alone? Are you satisfied with that alone, that I have the presence of God? Here, the psalmist David is teaching us, I cannot wait to be in your presence. There, I'm going to have fullness of joy far beyond anything that I can possibly experience today. Now, let's read here Psalm 17. As he's crying out, and this is specific, a prayer now. He goes from praise. Now, Psalm 17, he goes into prayer. This is a prayer now. And in his prayer, if he showed a calm spirit in Psalm 16, He's showing a confidence that he knows that God is going to save him. That God is going to deliver him. Psalms 17. Let's go ahead and read it now and see what the psalmist says here. Hear, just cause, O Lord, attend to my cry, give ear to my prayer, which is not from deceitful lips. Now what is he telling us here in verse 1? Lord, he's talking to the Lord. And he's praying here, and in his prayer, he says, Lord, hear, attend, give ear. He's saying, Lord, listen, hear, and pay attention. <laughs> Lord, I want you to pay attention to my prayer. It's coming from honest lips now. Listen to my just cause now that I'm coming. This is not something that I'm making up, Lord. Look at my prayer, which is not from deceitful lips. I'm coming with an honest heart, and in verse 2, Let my vindication, or defend me, let my defense come from your presence." What is it that we've been talking about recently in the Psalms? Let my vindication come from your presence. There are often times that we want our vindication, our our revenge, our defense to come from a person, or from ourselves, or from even a different person to stand before us, or to stand on behalf of us. But he's saying, Lord. Let my defense come from your presence. You notice how he's so confident. Let your eyes look upon the things that are upright. Lord, look to me and know that I am living an upright life. You have tested my heart. You have visited me in the night. You have tried me. Look, you have tested me, and you have tried me, and you have found nothing, Lord. You have examined my heart and my thoughts, and you know that there is no sin. You know, Lord, you know that I have a pure mind. You know that I have a pure heart now. I have purpose that my mouth shall not transgress. Lord, again, I've made a decision that I'm not going to sin with my mouth. Look at me, Lord. Examine me. Look at my life. I've committed to live a pure life. In fact, verse 4 says, Concerning the works of men by the word of your lips, I have kept away from the paths of the destroyer. I have stayed away from those that do sin. Not only do I not speak evil or sin, i stayed away from those that do. I'm not associated. Again, I kept myself away from evil. I'm determined to live a pure life. Life. Are you determined to live a pure life? When we are determined to live a pure life, we're going to speak these types of prayers. We're going to pray these types of prayers. We're saying, Lord, I will not associate myself. Lord, I've kept away from those that are destroyers. In fact, he goes, verse 5, Uphold my steps in your path that my foots may not slip. Lord, I've kept my steps, stayed on your paths. I've been faithful to stay in your path. I've walked in the way with my feet in your steps. I've not stepped away to the right or to the left. I've called upon you for you will hear me, O God. Incline your ear to me and hear my speech. Verse 6, look what he's talking about here. I'm praying, Lord. I know you will answer me. I know you will listen to my speech. I've not wandered away from following you. Verse 5 and 6, and he continues now. Show your marvelous loving kindness by your right hand, O you who save those who trust in you from those who rise up against them. Lord, thank you, he's saying, but save me now, Lord. I know that you can save me now, those who trust you, those who rise up against you, but show Your loving kindness and show your hand that is powerful. Your right hand, is speaking about a hand that is strong on behalf. Now he knows that if God is able to deliver and God is able to save in the past, that God can save in the present and also in the future now. Now verse 8, keep me as the apple of your eye. Talking about protection. Not only deliver me, but also protect me. What does he say as the apple of your eye? He's saying, Lord, keep me as something that is valuable to you. Keep me as something that is fragile to you. Keep me as something that you instinctively just protect. That you just naturally protect. That someone would, would protect now the, their eye just naturally and instinctively. Lord, protect me as the apple of your eye as well. Hide me, now he says, under the shadow of your wings. What does that mean? Today we want to be hidden under the shadow of the wings of the Lord. You know what it means to be hidden or to, Lord, hide me under the shadow of your wings. It's saying, Lord, take me to a place where you shelter me and you cover me with a shield in your love, in your safety, and in your protection. In fact, wings in the Bible are oftentimes as the wings of the cherub, the angels. And the cherubim, the angels, the wings were in the presence of God now, And what he's talking about here, he's saying, make my hiding place like the holies of holies. Make it be like a place of God's throne now where I'm protected by the glory of God and by the angels of God. Verse 9 here through verse 12, he's talking about the impression that he feels. Notice what he says here. From the wicked who oppress me, from the deadly enemies who surround me, they have closed up their fat hearts with their mouth they speak proudly. They have surrounded us in our steps. They have set their eyes crouching down to the earth. As a lion is eager to tear its prey, and like a young lion lurking in secret places, they're coming and disguising themselves. They're ready to devour and to overcome me. I feel the oppression, Lord. It's so easy during times, like the times that we're living in today, to feel the oppression. but That's why it's important to put ourselves in the Psalms and saying, Lord, I'm going to trust you. Some of the most difficult moments in your Christian walk, if you go to the Psalms, and you read Psalms like Psalm 16 and Psalm 17, you can have confidence even in the darkest times. Notice how he continues to pray, verse 13. Arise, O Lord, confront him. Confront who? Confront those that are attacking me. Cast him down. Deliver my life from the wicked with your sword, with your hand from men, O Lord from men of the world who have their portion in this life. Lord, deliver me from those whose treasures are this life, who are not spiritual people, who uh, the only thing that they're looking forward to is the things of this world that satisfy them and the hungers and the treasures of this world, but that is not me. And whose belly you fill with your hidden treasures, they are satisfied with children and leave the rest of their possessions for their babes. You see, they are satisfied with the treasures of this world. While those that are your children are satisfied with the possessions and the inheritance that you give them with hidden treasures. With hidden treasures. Notice that. You are satisfied with hidden treasures. Verse 15. Look at how he ends here. Look at this statement of faith. Look at this statement of faith here. The wicked are satisfied with the treasures of this world. Save me from them. And those treasures are different from the treasures that you offer now. Because they're not living for eternity. They're living for their own pleasures, not for the glory of God. But verse 15, the statement of faith here. As for me. (laughs) Would you remember that? There are a lot of times that you see everything that's taking place around our world. But as for me. Yeah, that is happening there. And that is happening over there. And there are often times we get distracted and we want to see what is that person doing. Or what are they doing over there? How's that ministry going? Or how's that family doing? Or my co-worker, are they doing well? But look what he's saying here, as for me, this is a statement of faith, I'm going to do this. I will see your face in righteousness. As for me, because of righteousness, I'm going to be able to see your face. Lord, because I am righteous, he's saying, or because I'm standing right before you now, I will see your face. These are now the privileges of following the Lord in obedience in contrast to the wicked that he just described. And he says, I will be satisfied. Circle that word, satisfied. This is so important. I'm going to see your face because I'm living a righteous life and I will be satisfied when I awake in your likeness. I'll be satisfied on that day, Lord, that we're awake when I, I resurrect, and I am in your likeness. I'm satisfied when I see your face in heaven. I'll be satisfied when I'm before you in your presence, when there is an unhindered fellowship with God. That's what satisfies me. Now notice, at the end of chapter 16, he says that there is, in his presence, is joy and pleasures. But then in chapter 17, he talks about a satisfaction. What has he taught us today through the presence of God? As we grow in the presence of God, that in the presence of God, you get one, number one, joy. In the presence of God, you get number two, pleasures. And in the presence of God, number three, you get satisfaction. That is true worship. That is adoration. That is a life being lived in the presence of God when the focus is all on the Lord. The focus is on the Lord. I can be content with what the Lord has given me. I don't have to look at anything else because he's saying here, as for me, I'm going to be satisfied on that day. Now in Psalms 18, as he goes on in this very, it's Psalms 18, he's going to talk about here a, a, a focus now on how the Lord delivered him from past, present, and future. On how the Lord delivered David from past, present, and future, I'm going to invite you to read on in Psalms 18 because you're going to see now on how he delivered him and how the Lord, how he called on the Lord and the Lord heard his prayer and delivered him from the most stressful situations. But tonight, let's end with saying, Lord, I want to spend t- more time in your presence. I want to spend more time in your presence. How do you spend time in the presence of God? By going into your prayer closet and saying, Lord, I'm going to turn my phone off because I wanna see your face. I wanna be in your presence. I'm gonna open my Bible and I wanna hear from you. And Lord, I'm gonna draw the line when it comes to my integrity. I'm not only gonna say it, I'm also gonna live it because I wanna be, live a life that qualifies me to enter into your presence and to stay there. Can we go ahead and pray together? Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank you, Jesus. We thank you, Lord, because you taught us, Lord, that in your presence, there is joy. There is pleasure, Lord. And there is satisfaction. I pray for some of us that are so hungry for these things, Lord. That are so anxious for these things. And because we're anxious, Lord, we we try to think that the more things we do, throughout our day. And the busier that we are and the adrenaline rush and the experiences that we get in life are the things that bring us joy and pleasure, Lord. But those are not the things that bring us joy and pleasure. In fact, they leave us empty. It's it's, it's hype. It's all hype, Lord. It's all emotions. But I pray, Lord, that we would learn what true joy is with true satisfaction, with true pleasure. And that we can say like, David, as for me, this is where I'm going to be. It doesn't matter where they're going to be, but as for me, this is where I'll spend my time. And I will not compromise that. I pray, God, that we would not be compromising our time with you, Lord. That we would be dedicated. We would have dedicated time in prayer. Dedicated time, that means that it is reserved that hour. For prayer. That we would wake up in the morning, Lord, and go to our knees to have fellowship with you. There are too many times that we are obsessed with fellowship with people that we never spend time with fellowship with you. We want to know who we can talk to, who we can call, who we can text, who we can hang out with. But that same desire doesn't exist when it comes to you, Lord. Lord. I pray, Lord, that you would teach us what it means to have communion, to have fellowship with you. It is in Jesus' name that we pray. And together we said,